Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Bulletproof Monk. It is loosely based on the comic book written by Brett Lewis with art by Michael Avon Oming. The film stars Chow Yun-Fat, Sean William Scott and Jamie King. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. It's one of those comic books that, uh, with the success of Spider-Man and the X-Men, Hollywood started picking up any property they could get their hands on. And a lot of things that uh, even comic book fans had never heard of, this is one of those. This is a, that was a comic book? Okay. Uh, like The Losers by uh, DC Vertigo, um, Wide Out was a um a small comic book that got made into a film we've so came back in sale yeah um and it was, it was quite a notable name as well who had writ, uh wrote that uh comic series you're right um, it's a big name i'm blanking on him for the moment with the losers it was written by andy diggle with phenomenal yep. art by jock yeah um and if memory serves wide out was greg rooker yes that's who it was it was greg rooker going back to bulletproof monk being a film that was adapted from a comic book i saw this film in cinemas back when it came out so this is the film that came out in 2003 and i found out it was based on a comic book this year i had no idea (sighs) I had absolutely no idea. My my wanting to watch this film, and I can imagine it it's what got this movie greenlit in the first place. I liked action films. I liked American Pie. Who didn't like Stifler? Yeah. So you can imagine, you know, at the studio, okay, so we need to mix action, you know, with everything that's going on with films like American Pie and road trip like let's tap into that demographic and bulletproof monk and that's why i said in the opening there it is loosely based and then they kind of just did their own thing the film grossed approximately 23 million in the united states with a worldwide total of 37 million less than the production budget of 52 million Oof. I know. <laughs> wow. I mean, this film should have been a hit. Apparently, at one time, John Wu was either attached or they wanted him. Chow Yun-Fat, who'd worked with Wu previously. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that would have happened by now, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And had won the Oscar at the time. Um, also, <laughs> you know, he'd been working in Hollywood already, uh, Face Off. Um, Hard Target, which we were discussing before we hit the record. Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, Hard Boiled, like like the uh, John Woo, like Hong Kong movie, which, and Chow Yun Fat, the star of that, which people even now are like, why don't people make movies like Hard Boiled anymore? Um, so I'm not surprised they would have had trouble getting him for a project like this. In fact, if I remember correctly, around this time, he was making uh, movies with, like, Ben Affleck and stuff, like, uh, and 
Well, he made uh, one. He'd, what he'd did already... he do? He did paycheck. Paycheck. Yeah, I think. I think that was around this time. Uh, you know, and he'd just finished uh, a little bit of time before then on Mission Impossible Two. I mean, he was a he was a big name in Hollywood to get. So I'm not surprised. They, in fact, was it John Woo who did Incredible Hulk with Eric Banner? No, that was Ang Lee. I'm just looking here. So 2000, Mission Impossible 2, 2002, Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage, Paycheck in 03 with Affleck. So, yeah, that's what he would have been doing at the time. But then he also went on, he worked as part of that video game project, Stranglehold. And I think that's yeah. what they that used Chow Yun-Fat's likeness. See, those guys clearly had a relationship, but we didn't get the director, but we did get the star of those films. So it should have been, it should have been a hit. It really should have been, but it clearly wasn't. I mean, I watched it, but I know you've just watched it recently. And I know other people that have never seen it as well. Yeah. um, And, you know, looking at the director, Paul Hunter, uh, you know, this is the only thing I could find on his IMDb that was not a video clip, a uh, music video. So, yeah, this was his feature length directorial debut. I think the last time we had that, it was the director of Mystery Men. He came yeah, from yeah. music videos, did that one movie, had a bad experience, and went back to music videos. But looking at Hunter's credits, though, he's worked with. Whitney Houston, Aliyah, Farrell Williams, Dr. Dre, TLC, Beyonce, LL Cool J. I, I mean, I could just keep going on. Michael Jackson. Yeah. He's worked with everybody. Yeah, and these are some of their big music videos as well, like Maya, Case of the X, he did the film clip for. So very successful in that field. Um, one thing I will say off his direction, and you're working with, Chow Yun Fat. So, you know, he'd already done uh, Crouching Tiger in Dragon by this time. Missed, like, knows fight choreography, knows how to fight, knows how to do stunt work. Some of the uh, fight sequences in this are questionable in quality. It is part of the story of, like, abilities of his character, but they look a little wonky. Um, one of the things being usually when it comes to stunt work and fight choreography, that's something they hand over to a second unit. Second unit is usually taken up uh, by the stunt coordinator is very often the director because he knows the angles. There are rules in terms of fight choreography. Um, whenever a fight's taking place, you try to keep the characters on the sides of the screen, the whole same side of the screen throughout the whole fight, unless there's a very obvious move to change sides. Uh, and usually you change angle at the same time um, to fit, to either keep them on the same sides of the screen or uh, to, for or the audience can track that they've switched sides. So whenever you move to like close-ups of hands or whatever, you followed the action. Some of the, it's more the editing than the shots. Some of the fight choreography, very hard to, like, got lost. I'm like, wait, what, 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 what did they do? What happened there? Um, so, and 
I don't blame him because, as I said, this is usually something that should be done by second unit. But there was some smash cut editing in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know what Chaiyun Fat is capable of. We've seen him in other films, and this film doesn't do him many favors. We get the Except opening. On the acting side, he is so effortlessly charming. Karen oh, no, Bennett he is. He is. Yes. Film. Absolutely. I agree with that. But I was going to say that the opening, like just with the visuals, when he's, he's fighting on, on the bridge, bridge. Yeah. and he's balancing and he just looks a bit off, but you can kind of go with it because at that time, the opening of the movie, it's more fantastical. But when yeah. we cut to the US, and he's doing it there, like that scene when he's in Carr's apartment and he's eating yeah. the cereal and he's ducking yeah. and he's moving around. In fact, he's moving like Michael Jackson did in some of his videos. Like the yeah, way that yeah. he's like he's leaning back, almost going to the ground and pops back up again. And the, they're doing that a lot with him because he's supposed to be more than a fighter. Like he's got these otherworldly abilities. He's protecting the scroll, which he's had. That tattooed on his body with magic. Yeah. And it's in this whole thing. So that's why he's older than he appears. And what I'm going to say is that even though it wouldn't be the case in real life, because we get to see Sean William Scott as car training, and it's and it's practical, it seems more impressive than what we're getting from Chow Yun Fat, because a lot of his his technique is digital. So I was honestly quite impressed because, again, thinking Stifler, here he is yeah. in this movie. We'd seen him in Welcome to the Jungle with The Rock, but he often gets his ass yeah. kicked in that film. Yeah. But here, though, he actually put the effort in. He trained for three months. He lost 22 pounds and you know got in fighting shape, and it looks good in the movie. So I've seen this film a few times, I've got to be honest. I've come back to it most recently for this, and I do like him in it. Like Sean William Scott is likable as this character. I mean, can you learn martial arts from watching martial arts movies? What's the uh, is... cinema? I don't know, but just go with it. Yeah. Uh, it is a technique fighters use uh, to practice extra, work so they don't have to actually spar with someone or if it's difficult it's not something that is not the only way to learn like you they use that in addition to fighting an opponent and under tutelage and everything else but it is something that is part of training you know that's what shadow boxing is is doing the stuff um and you know comic book characters uh, like taskmaster do have uh the ability to see a move and be able to replicate it like uh, I can't remember what the name of the move, the power set is, but that's uh, it is based roughly on something that can do. In fact, Shang Chi, that is one of his abilities that they haven't actually set up in the movies yet. Is he can replicate any move he sees. But uh, yeah, I do remember having not seen it until rec- until recently seeing interviews and knowing that Sean William Scott, you know, was trying to get away from the, the teen comp romp com, uh, and like teenage, uh, comedy stuff. And that he really did put in the effort, um, to, for this, for other roles. And you can see he's, 
the competency. I mean, I bet he was on Chow Yun Fat for tutelage like crazy for this because you've got a master right there. Why wouldn't you pick his brain for everything possible? And you went to other movies. Like I've watched both The Goons he did, which is more on that serious side, and he's fantastic. He really is great, and he doesn't get the chance to, to really shine on that side of things. But yeah, in this, I thought he did a really great job. Yeah, me he's too. Also, yeah, there is some of that stifler like humor. You know, he's a smart ass. I wouldn't be shocked if that's just part of a bit like Ryan Reynolds. The humor is very Ryan Reynolds. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that's a bit of Sean William Scott. Like that's his like comfortable zone. That's how he relates with people. But it works in this as it does in any other role because it's it feels so natural. It does, but this film is made up of a trio. We've also got the bad girl Jade, played by Jamie King. Yeah, um, who I know, I I know the name. I know I've seen her in a bunch of stuff, but seeing her in this, not firing any memory at all. No, I, yeah, I think I I think I often recognize her name before I recognize her. Yeah, like I'm not sure if it's just she's one of those actors that. You know, she can do something small and completely alter her look. Or if I, I just don't take note of the things that she's in. But yeah, she's um, she's definitely a name I recognize well. Uh, and she's got an interesting backstory. Being we first meet her as a street kid, light car, and then you find out, then you see her change her look and act like upper class and you're like what's going on here is she some rich girl acting like a street kid what's going on and then finally like, kind of yeah because her dad is a russian mobster who's currently in prison i'm like oh i'd like to know more about that you didn't have to bring it in like right at the end of the movie you could have brought that in a bit earlier but yeah i mean there's supposed She's- to be yeah there's a bit of mystery around her character, and then, yeah, we eventually find out what that actually is. I was just checking her film credits. She's in White Chicks with the oh, Wayne's yeah. Brothers, Sin City, The Spirit. Sin City? She was Blondie. Goldie. She was Goldie. Goldie. Yeah, she was Goldie in... I think that's where, yeah, I think that's where I've seen a name pop up, as well as this movie, obviously. You know, a character that we get in this... I think it's when we first see her in the movie as well. Funktastic. Ah, oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Played I love by the name. Marcus Jean Pierre. Yeah. Funktastic. Such a and his his character name is Mr. Funktastic. I I, I love that. Like, <laughs> it, it does sound like a wrestler. I mean, for lie. me, it's a bit formal, but yeah, I like it too. Yeah. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's got like a crew who's like, like giving Kara a hard time and trying desperately to get in Jade's pants. But he's got a whole crew. And I bothered to write down the names of um, other members of the crew because I thought it might be important before when the movie, before the movie started. You got, Sax, you've got Diesel, you've got DV. <laughs> they're, they're just there. They're just they're, names. Yeah. <laughs> they are just names. They're, I mean, the villains in this film, Nazis. 
Literal Nazis. <laughs> Carol Roden as Strucker, and as his granddaughter, Victoria Smurfit as Nina Strucker. Yeah. Um, and Strucker, like, like my, my brain's like, hey, Hydra. And <laughs> <laughs> he's an old guy, wants to be young again. He gets, he reads part of the text. He starts to become youthful. But then, of course, it goes wrong and, and he's taken down. You know, originally, the conclusion of the film had Mr. Funktastic with his gang, so all those people you just mentioned, leading Jade and Carr underground to battle Nina's goons and rescue the monks. This ending finished with a climatic fight underground, not on top of a skyscraper. The alternative ending and deleted scenes are featured on the DVD. So if you want to see more, you can go and see more. So they originally had a different ending for the movie that brought back Mr. Funktastic. That makes sense because they did spend a significant amount of time setting them up. I mean, yes, it's one interaction, but if you weren't going to bother to bring them back, why would you spend so much time there? You've given them character names for crying out loud. <laughs> but so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and Strucker, typical Nazi. He's just a Nazi, isn't he? He's just there, isn't he? He's old. He wants to be useful. He wants power. Looks like he might succeed. We, the audience, know he won't. And then yeah. he doesn't. Yeah. And the scroll is supposed to do more than just give you powers. It's supposed to allow you to control the destiny of humanity. Um, that's what we get in the opening scroll or you know, the opening monologue. What I've always liked is how they were able to move the meaning like cranes above. Yet it was cranes yeah, in the cityscape. That was great. Not birds. That worked really well. Yeah. So and then Castle of Jade. Yes. With and Jade, Jade's house. With Mr. Mansion. Funk- <laughs> yep. And Jade and Mr. Fantastic. Like you didn't see it at the time, but she helped Carr. So when it's revealed that she gets shot, but she's got part of the tattoo or part of, I keep saying tattoo, it's not a tattoo, is it? But she got part of the text on her. So she was protecting and she caught the bullet in her hand. She was bleeding, yeah. but she caught the bullet. And then it goes all superhero ending when she's got her flowing outfit and she's walking in slow motion in the park. So a bit cheesy yeah. at the end there. But you know, something that I do like about this film, the music. I've always liked the music. The score is by French composer Eric Serra. He was the yeah. composer on GoldenEye in 95. And I didn't know this, but at the time, um, it was it threw people off. It was very different to what we'd come to know or you know how we'd come to experience James Bond with the previous scores, starting with John Barry. But he did a good job there. Yeah, also a composer for The Fifth Element and Lucy, which that's I right. Fifth Element. Oh, I thought you was gonna say, I thought you was gonna say I love Lucy. I watched that again recently. That one's a shocker. Um, the movie, obviously, not the TV show. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, um, but I did I did read that. Yeah, frequent yeah. collaborator with director Luc Besson. Yeah, and uh the film Lyon, also known as the professional for those of us outside of Europe. That's right. Um, that's right. You know, I here right. in Australia, that's currently streaming on SBS on demand. I think yeah, I'm I'm due a rewatch. Such a great film. And you know, like he's 
the music in this, as you said, I mean, that's really real get like, and this is a very, very talented composer. Yeah, definitely. But as well as the score, though, the songs that they use back in 2003, I was really into Blink-182 and I'm still a fan. I always have been. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But as a side project, Travis Barker was drumming for Transplants and they have two songs in this film. The first one is when you've got Carr and Mr. Funktastic's henchmen, men, yeah. people, and they're, and they're fighting tall cans in the air. That song, yeah, yeah it's, it really fit in. Yes, again, like for me, at the time, action movies, American Pie, Transplants, there was a lot to enjoy with, with this movie. Yeah, you know, it's fun. It's it flows well. Um, as I said, Chow Yun Fat's like so effortlessly charming. So he's got that nice little smile on his face. You are very comfortable watching him on screen. He's he builds really good chemistry with Sean William Scott. I think they work together really well. And it, when you get to the end, it really does feel like they were expecting a sequel. Like, why would you put him in, in her in like the almost matrixy thing, but red, not black, and Sean William Scott looking more like a more modern version of what Chow Yun Fat's wearing with a brown leather jacket and brown pants rather than yeah. the long uh, brown duster that the bulletproof monk, which that's his name. It's the monk. He d- gave up his name when he became. The monk, that's and it. The monk with no name, yeah, yeah, uh, which you know it's, it worked for Clint Eastwood for decades. <laughs> and we get to see Jade be bulletproof, so the title yeah. works, yeah, uh, and him, you know, he gets shot at the start of the movie. And that's right, yeah. But yeah, it's it's fun. It moves really. I mean, the villains are over the top cheesy. I'll yeah. put that out there. Like cheesy Nazis and like the most B-list movie way, but the movie is supposed to be fun. Uh, they don't need you don't need any more like knowledge of what their uh, agenda is. They're Nazis. They're nasty. You just you immediately want them to to fail. But yeah, honestly, I. Really I... I've always had a good time with it, but then it wasn't until doing prep for this that I realised that I think I might be in the minority. I mean, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, 24%. It's, yeah. not, it's not got many fans, this film, but, you know, I still I still like it for, for what it is. But I'm interested to know what your rating is going to be, knowing that this is the first time that you've seen it. You know, I, I I really enjoyed this. It was nice, easy watch. Watched it, you know, on a you know, midday on a Saturday. Like, had myself a little midday matinee. I'll probably go three and a half out of five. Oh, really fun, really easy watch. You know, it's it's again typical of the era that hour and a half, hour forty, like run time. I was never checking my watch, and you know, I. I got so sucked into just watching the movie. I didn't have a lot of notes to write other than like, this is what's going on right now. This is where we are. 
but uh, the rest of it, I was just just happy to sit back and watch. It, it really went by easily and like enjoyably. How about yourself? Well, this most recent rewatch, I think more than ever, I recognize that it's not the best film, but just like you, I enjoyed it. I do enjoy this film. I'm going to come in at a 3.5, just like yourself. I can't go in lower than what you've come in as. Yeah. It's it's a good film. It is. Yeah. It's a fun film. That's probably a, a better way of putting it than saying it's a good film. It is a fun film. And yeah. each time I come back to it, I enjoy it. And this is a movie that I've now paid for three times. I watched it at the cinema. When living in the UK, I bought it on DVD. I yeah. then sold so many of my DVDs before moving to Australia. And since living in Australia, I bought it again on DVD. And yeah. I'll, I'll go back to it and I'll watch it again. It's it's good for what it is, but it definitely doesn't show off what Chow Yun-Fat is capable of. But yeah. like you say, his, you know, his performance is effortless. Great chemistry with Sean William Scott and Jamie King. It's just, it's a fun film. Comes in under two hours. Turn your brain yeah. off, sit down, watch it, enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I don't I, I get it's I get its criticisms. Um, I understand why people would have had trouble, but I think it's un, undeserved. As I said, there's there's so much here to enjoy. It's just some a few tweaks that could really like send it over the top, I think. Well, that's it for our episode all about Bulletproof Monk. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>